Well, good morning. Good to see you all here uh, on, a, on a very difficult day, I think, for us as a community, so it's uh, wonderful to see you together. Let me pray and we'll look at the scriptures together. Father, we, we do pray, please, that you might bless this time, that you might let it be a, a, a great occasion where you work by your spirit through your word to capture us anew, um, to change us, uh, to help us reflect on our lives and bring them more in line with the glory and greatness of the gospel. We pray, please, for much good from our time together and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about uh, what gives your life meaning. What gives your life meaning? Have you thought about whether your life is meaningful or not? Just think into it for a moment. Um, what, what, don't say anything, but in fact, I'm going to ask you to say some things shortly, so just hold it. But uh, what, what makes your life meaningful? What does make your life meaningful? In early 2021, so just recently, a research group surveyed 19,000 adults around the world, a massive survey, uh, different countries, about meaning. And in the United States, there were a couple of questions that were asked and uh, the one in the United States is the one I'll read for us. It's a little bit, they were larger than the same, but the one in the United States read like this. We're interested in exploring what it means to live a satisfying life. Please take a moment to reflect on your life and what makes it feel worthwhile. Take that moment. Reflect on your life. What makes your life feel worthwhile? Then answer the question below as thoughtfully as you can. What about your life do you currently find meaningful, fulfilling or satisfying? What about your life do you find meaningful, fulfilling or satisfying? What keeps you going and why? This is a good question, isn't it? Now, what, now don't, again, don't say anything. But uh, let me give you the answers uh, across 19,000 people, across uh, 17 countries, I think it was. Uh, let me give you the answers. By far the most common response was... Now, what do you think the answer was? What do you think across 17 countries? Not, what do you think the most common answer would be about what makes my life feel meaningful, fulfilling and satisfying? What keeps me going? Family. Family. Uh, 38% said family and children. Uh, 25% said occupation and career. Uh, 20%, 90% said material well-being. 18% said friends and community. 10% said hobbies and recreation. 4% said romantic partner. Sorry about that. Um, uh, 1% said pets. Now, I'm glad you laughed. Unless you're the 1% sitting amongst us, actually, and you're thinking, what are you talking about? My dog, he's my life. <laughs> we might need to talk later when we catch up, but, but what do you think you'd say with the answer? Now, faith was mentioned, but overall, across all the nations, 2% said faith gave their life meaning. Now, I guess the good news here is that pets got one, so faith pipped pets, right? <laughs> so there's the, some good news, at least. At least uh, God trumps your dog uh, for, for many people. Um, 
It, the figure was better for churchgoers. I mean, that's not 10,000 people across the communities across 17 countries, but uh, amongst churchgoers, it was better. Uh, you'd hope that'd be the case. And, and I've only seen the American stats on this, but amongst traditional churches in America, 13% of people who go to church said that faith was what gave their life meaning. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. Amongst evangelical churches in America, which is by far the dominant uh, category in, in churches in America, which is an extraordinary thing about American Christianity, by the way. But um, uh, amongst evangelical churches in America, 34% said that faith gave their life meaning, but only one third. Now, how would, now <laughs> don't say anything, but how would you answer that? What gives your life meaning? Now, you're sitting in church, right? And you're sitting in church on the day when most community are hiding and the house is terrified, Yes. This, of all the Sundays, this is probably the riskiest Sunday, the week before Christmas, Omicron's hit us, and uh, praise God you're here, uh, it, you're here I guess because um, you, you love Jesus most, or you don't think COVID's real, um, or, or I should say, you're at home streaming because you're actually, you've got friends, family, relatives that you're deeply concerned about. I just want to acknowledge that uh, there is, it is a complex time, we love you if you're streaming, fantastic, uh, it can't keep going though. Streaming can't keep going uh, as a way of doing church. Now, I understand in the current climate, the current context, there are various people with their jobs, their medical professions and so on. They have to take greater cautions. Just for your information, we now have established very clearly a space up the top, my right, your left as you come in, uh, that will be, will be very strict on distancing and face masks always. And outside, of course, we've got a space as well. We need to all eventually come back, but understand at present the context we're in, if you're streaming, we love you, value that you're participating as you're able. But how do you answer that question? What gives your life meaning? And does it matter how you answer that question? Now, what is the thing that without which your life would be empty? If you took it away, I'd have nothing. What would that thing be? Now, we've just had a reading from the New Testament, and uh, Andrew read for us from Philippians chapter 1, about, uh, written by one of the first followers of Jesus, a man who was converted after having been an enemy of the Christian faith. You might know the Apostle Paul's story. He was someone who breathed out threats against the church. He was someone who went house to house dragging Christians to be uh, prosecuted and persecuted. Uh, and that man became a Christian in the early years, just a very short time after the death and resurrection of Jesus. In fact, his conversion is one of the evidences for the reliability of the New Testament records. Uh, the historical figure of the Apostle Paul is converted in such extraordinary circumstances. Now, having just had a short reading, I'm going to read a little bit more. Having had a short reading uh, from that man, what do you think he would say was the thing that gave life meaning for him? What do you think he would say gave life meaning now, let me give you a couple. The key verse I want us to look at, particularly, is verse 21. Grab your Bible, have a look at it there. It's one of those verses you should memorize if you do memorize scripture. And you should memorize scripture, it's a great thing to do. Verse 21 For me, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Now, you probably don't need to hear much more to understand how the Apostle Paul thought, how he thought about his life, what mattered most to him. Was, For me to live is Christ. My life is Jesus. 
Now, what does that mean in a sense? Well, it's fairly straightforward. For me to live is Christ. My life is about Jesus. That's a shorthand way of saying that. My life is about Jesus. It's lived for Jesus. My life is Christ. It's lived for Jesus, with him at the centre, lived under his rule. My life was for me. Now it's for Christ. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. What do you think he'd say when the American study came and said, what do you think gives you a life meaning? What would be his... He wouldn't even think of pets. And it wouldn't be family. I don't even think it would be the word faith. Faith is a very strange word that's become part of our vocabulary in recent times around religiosity. So instead of talking to people who are religious, we talk to people of faith. People of faith. But faith is, a, is to look at yourself. What gives my life meaning is not my faith. Paul wouldn't have even thought like that. He would have said what gave his life meaning was Jesus. Yes, of course, he's got faith in Jesus, but faith is nothing of itself. It's what looks to Jesus. Jesus is what gives him his life meaning. But let me add a few more pieces. There's just one verse that's the headline. Let me give you a few more pieces that came from our reading there. Verse 13, look at this. Uh, Paul is actually in prison. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else, I'm in chains for Christ. He was imprisoned. He was in chains. Uh, he was in chains uh, because of his testimony uh, for the things of Christ, because of proclaiming Jesus. Do you know, I read recently in, uh, in America, there was a, um, there's a whole uh, kind of uh, battle going on in the schools around materials that are being used in schools. And one man um, was concerned about uh, the increase in pornography that's being brought into school libraries. Have you picked up this kind of thing that's happening? It's horrible. It's extraordinary. But he was concerned about uh, pornography that's now being delivered in the school libraries. And he decided finally he needed to do something about it. So he's taken a stand. He's now going to go on to councils and so on and start arguing the case about getting rid of this and so on. Um, his wife said to him, if you do that, it'll mess up our lives entirely. People will come for you, you'll be hounded, you'll become a public figure, critics criticised and critiqued. Do you really want to do that and ruin our lives? Is it worth it to you, she put to him. Now that is the question, isn't it? If you're going to take a stand. Paul, the apostle, imagine if he was married and had a wife and his wife said to him, you keep preaching the way you are, saying and doing the things you do, you'll end up in prison. You won't just be hounded. You'll lose everything. You'll lose your freedom. You'll lose everything. Do you really want to keep doing it? Is it worth it to you to preach Christ? What do you think the Apostle Paul would have said? For me to live is Christ. Everything's about Jesus. I'm, of course, lose my freedom. That's not a, my life's not about my freedom. Except the freedom I have in Jesus. Of course he would say yes. And you know, while he was in prison, people outside of prison worked to undermine him. Look there in verse 15. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defence of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition. Not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. So you've got two groups of people who are preaching Jesus. Uh, Paul acknowledges they're preaching the gospel faithfully. Some of them are doing it sincerely, wanting others to hear about Jesus. Others, it seems, are doing it to make it harder for Paul in prison. Now, we don't quite know exactly how that worked. But Paul's aware that people are preaching Christ to make it harder for him to hurt him more while he's in prison. But look at his response, verse 18. 
What does it matter? The important thing is that every way, whether by false motives or true, Christ is preached. Whether it's your favourite preacher, your favourite church or not, Paul goes, I don't care that Christ is preached. Now, faithfully, he's not just happy for anyone to talk whatever gospel they like, but preaching the true gospel, Paul says, I don't care whether it brings harm on me. What matters to me is that Christ is preached. Now, the Apostle Paul, again, shows you the big thing in his life is Jesus. His own reputation is second. He's not living for himself. For me to live is Christ. You know, he then wrestles with a choice about life and death. After just mentioning in verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, he has this little internal wrestle that he talks to us, he shares with his readers, with us. Verse 22, it's about whether he should go on living or, or go to heaven. Now, I don't think that means he's got a choice of suicide. He's not talking about that, but he's just wrestling with which is better. Verse 22, if I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labour for me, yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, to go to heaven. I desire that, which is better by far. You see, he, he, this internal dialogue about whether live or die, for him to die is better by far because he'll be with his Lord in glory. To be with Christ, whose life is he? For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, you see. It's better by far. But look at verse 24. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. It's more necessary for you that I... Now, why is it more necessary for you that I remain in the body? Well, back to verse 22, because it means fruitful labour, where he can minister the gospel to other people. He can bring people to know Jesus, deepen them in their faith. It's more necessary for you that I remain. He does not say, it's more necessary to stay because of the hobbies I enjoy. Because I've still got some places to travel to on my bucket list. Because I couldn't leave my family. He doesn't say any of those things. It's fruitful labour, helping others grow. Because for me to live is Christ. And to die is gain. You see, the questionnaire comes to him and says, what gives your life meaning? What's the thing that keeps you going? And the Apostle Paul's answer is unambiguous, clear, rock solid. It's Jesus. It's to live for Jesus. It's fruitful labour in Jesus. It's the person of Jesus. There's no question of what he would have said. It's the, he wouldn't have said, my faith keeps me going. He would have said, Jesus keeps me going. Now you compare him to us. And the survey. 13 was it 13% of uh, people in Protestant churches in, in traditional churches said it was their faith 34 in evangelical churches only one third two-thirds of people going to church regularly would not say it's the person of Jesus that keeps them going now why is that and what do you do with that insight what do you do with the fact that so few of us are like Paul? Just feel bad? Ah, oh, that's why you go to church. Just to be made feel bad again. 
What do we do with the fact that many of us just don't see the world the way Paul sees it? For many of us, we just don't think or live like that. This is the Central Coast. What are the two big things that give us meaning on the Central Coast? Family and lifestyle. Career is not big for us on the Central Coast. Some of you may travel to Sydney and have a career worth living for, um, in a foolish kind of way. But um, not the travel to Sydney, but I'm going to get that too. But, the, you, you, but for most of us, we, we moved here because of the lifestyle. So our family would have a nicer place to live and it would be back like the 1950s Sydney, back in Australia where it was. That's, and we're resentful of tourists who come in all the time. Christmas is a real pain in the neck, isn't it? Because that's why we're here. Now, what do we do with the fact that that's so different to the Apostle Paul? Just ignore it? Paul was a weirdo. He didn't live where we live. Now, he did live in the Greek islands. So if someone knew beautiful place, he knew beautiful place. What do we do? We just ignore it? Or decide that we should pretend that we're like him? Let's just learn to say that verse together. No. What do we do? Well, here's what I think we do. We notice the difference, firstly. We notice that what he says, thinks and feels may not actually be the way I think or feel. Now, you don't have to tell anyone, but be honest with yourself. Would you talk like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain? Would you think and talk like that? And if you wouldn't, I I recognise it. No one's going to judge you for it today. And then ask the critical question, Why the difference? Why is Paul the way he is, was, and I'm the way I am? What is it that's made him, made him like that? What's the reason for the difference being there? Now, here's where we're going to throw together for a moment. What, What do you think has led Paul to think like that, whereas many others don't? Give us your thoughts. Why, is Paul, why does Paul think the way he thinks? He met Jesus on the road to Damascus? His experiences? Uh, he may well die soon. That gives clarity, perhaps, yeah. Yeah, this is a couple of times it's been mentioned. He saw the risen Lord Jesus and through a kind of very miraculous experience, yeah. He's he's seen how bad you can go. He's seen how low. I've got ten things, I think. Let me run them through for you. You ready for this? I think he says that, he's able to say that because he's got a package of ideas and here they are. I think it's because he's convinced God is there and he's real. First one. I think he's convinced the world is fallen. It it is 
It was made to be other. It is now far less than it was. It's fallen, it's broken, it's under the curse of God. He's convinced that human beings are sinful. By nature, not basically good, but basically corrupted. And so actually facing condemnation before the God who is real. You see how those all join together. He's convinced of a thing called judgment, that we'll all stand before the judgment seat of Christ one day. He's convinced that life is short. He has perhaps a vivid awareness that his life will end, but he's convinced that life, even if it goes for 80, 90 years, is a very short thing. And he's convinced there's only one name under heaven by which you can be saved. He's convinced that there's a God who will judge sinners, we're sinners, we're under the condemnation of that God and hell is horrendous, he's convinced of these truths, but he's convinced there's one name by which you can be rescued from out from under that. And that one name is the Lord Jesus. And in fact, there's not just one name, that one name is glorious. Jesus himself is an extraordinary, amazing saviour who is the Lord of the universe. Not just a theory, not just an idea, but a genuine, real person who saves us to come home. Here is perhaps the big ones. He's convinced that we were made for this God who is real. That to be with this God is to, is to come home, is to be whole. Our hearts are restless till they find rest in you. And coming to him, there's the answer to life. How do you come to him? Only through the merits of Jesus who died on a cross to forgive us at such a cost, a glorious cost. You know, um, just a quick little illustration. Have you heard of a really ancient philosopher, a man called Plato? Plato, uh, you know, way before Jesus. But Plato uh, writes in his symposium about a, a... Concert, a, a contest that went on about making up the best stories. And one of the philosophers he records for us made up a story about uh, how, he, you know, just made up a story that men and women were made, well, humans were made to have four legs, four arms and two faces. This round body with four legs. And Zeus got jealous and so cut humanity in half. And the rest of life is about one half, two legs, two arms, one face, looking for their other half. Have you heard that kind of story? It's where something of the soulmate's idea came from. And it was a story, it was a party, and it was telling the story about how love is about trying to find your soulmate. And when you come back together, it's clicking back together. You're whole again and you feel yourself. Um, now, it's just a story, and it's where it's, it, it messes up your marriage, actually, by the way. It's a dumb idea. Um, whoever you marry is your soulmate. All right? There is no soulmate out there somewhere for you. Whoever you marry, that's the one. Okay? Make them your soulmate um, and you'll find great joy and blessing in that. It's a dumb idea. But his, it, it, the whole story gives you this sense of um, being made for something, split apart from it and the power of being brought back. You can see that kind of power of it. right? This, well, that story is dumb and not true, but it's true of us and God. We were made for him. We were made to live in relationship with him. And because of our sinful rebellion, we were cut off from him. And we have been searching ever since, looking for something to give us meaning and purpose and satisfaction and fulfillment. Because the, the heart of humanity has been, we tore it out. And we've been trying to fill that gap for the rest of this time. And Paul was convinced that in Jesus, That God came looking for us 
and found us and brings us home to be whole again. To know the glory and joy of being connected with our Holy Father into a family that we were made to live as part of forever. The Apostle Paul's convinced of these things, this package of ideas that they're true. And then you see that Paul is like he is, isn't just him. It's him as the man who properly sees what we're all meant to see. It's him seeing what everyone is meant, what's there to be soon and what all of us are meant to see. Claudia, uh, you know, she's gone home. It's beautiful, but sad for those who are lost, left, right. But she said some wonderful things, didn't she? She, she was an atheist. And then she looks at the universe, the stars, the world around her, and she could not live with atheism anymore because she saw what's there to be seen, that it's designed. It's made by someone. And it's beautiful and glorious. There are things you're meant to see. The Apostle Paul saw God for who he is, saw our sin for what it is, saw salvation in Jesus for what it is. He saw eternity and the glory that it is, the beauty and the greatness of it. He was captured by these things in a way that shines a light on how little we see those things. Did you see? Did you see? The way Paul saw life was not just an odd thing for Paul. It was Paul, the one who was given by God the clarity to see the world the way you're meant to see it. Like Claudia was given to see the way the world. He was given to see the way the world was meant to be seen. That's why he says, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And if you would but see the world the way Paul saw it, the way you're meant to see it, you couldn't live for your family. You couldn't make your job the big thing in your life. For you to live will be Jesus. And to die will be gain. You know, many people are able to walk past Jesus and not even care, not notice, and then live for their pets or live for their job or live for their family, which will destroy them and you. You know, family's a better thing to live for than pets. But you have still not gone high enough. You have still settled for too little. Now, is this to say that Paul's life is the life that all of us should live? No, not in every particular. Not all of us need to be itinerant missionaries who go to prison for Christ and stay single all our days. Not all of us are called to that kind of life. There was a particular shape of Paul that was not for all of us. But the convictions that led him down the paths he went, the convictions that drove him into those different particulars, those convictions are meant to be for all humanity. Because they, they grow out of the reality of how humanity is made to be. Now, that raises for us three practical questions. 
What will it look like for a person who lives on the Central Coast, who's a mum or dad, work, kids, Christmas coming up, what will it look like for us to be people who live for Christ, who, who, are, who say to live is Christ, to die is God? What will it look like in practical things for us? Now here's where, if we get time, I'm going to show four things. I'm going to give you four things and then see if you've got any comments or questions to see if we can wrestle with this depending on how time goes. So be alert as we go along. Let me give you four things. It's actually hard to do this to think through the particulars, but I'm going to give you a sense of it. The first one is this. If you were someone who was captivated by Christ to say that to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, the first thing that that does for you is it means you will see every other good through Jesus. You will see every other good through him. So that you don't live for your kids, family and work, but that doesn't mean you can't enjoy them. It doesn't mean that they're not wonderful. You can enjoy them and rejoice in them as reflected goods. You know, the moon, the moon was, was a full last night. It was a, it was a big moon last night. And, um, but here's the thing. The moon only shines because the sun shines on it. It's a reflected light, yes. Kids are a joy. They're a blessing from the Lord. But only because they're a gift from God, there are a reflected joy. It's his light shining in them that gives them the thing that they have for us. The reason family is so captivating is because it's a reflected joy from God, the Father who shines his light and glory on the beautiful things that we see. Don't live for the reflected light. Live for the one who generously gives you your family, do you see? Rejoice in your family. Enjoy them as you're able. Um, and, and yes, there'll be a grief if you don't have, but it's only a reflected, look, look to the one whose light shines that makes it so good, you see. Start by seeing this about everything you love. They're all gifts, reflected lights from the one who is the light. Thank him. For me to live is Christ means that I start to see the world through the reflection of what God has brought so that I turn my I turn back to him to see the giver and thank him and honour him for all that he gives. Second, get the big orientation of your life right. Get the big orientation of your life right. Bow the knee to Christ. You see, to live is Christ is a very rich idea, but in broad terms it means to say that my life is now lived for him, under him. Ruled by him. What matters now is what he would have me do each and every day. The key concern is when I wake up, uh, what, would, what would the Lord Jesus have me do with this day? How would he have me live it? Because for me to live is Christ under his rule. Now that still begs the details. Um, you know, what does that mean then, to, to live under the Lordship of Christ and have me do what he would have me do? Well, it's to see every other good through him. It's to be thankful and prayerful. We put those things in place. Third, from this passage, you get some further hints. You remember that inner dialogue I drew attention to between um, when Paul was thinking about whether to, to depart and be with the Lord or stay. What should I do? Now think with me. What, what enabled him to decide to stay? Or to think that staying was the right thing to do. What, what drove him to decide to stay? Can you remember from that passage? 
It's there in verse 22, 23, 24. What drove him to say it's better to stay? Work, ministry, driven, but what drives the thought that work, ministry? See, what, who, to go and depart, who would have benefited from that? Himself. To stay, who would have benefited from that? Others. Do you see what's going on? What Paul is captivated by is the ethic of love. He no longer lives for himself. He is captivated by a desire to serve others. Now, where does that come from? Jesus. Chapter 2. Your attitude should be the same as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being found in human appearance. You see that example of Jesus who God himself lives for others. And so the Apostle Paul, to live to, to, to live is Christ is now to be taking on the character of Christ to be about other people not yourself why do most people move to the central coast for their lifestyle why would Paul move to the central coast for the sake of others get the big things in place no longer think of your life about yourself and what's good for you and what's best for you. Fourth, care about the things Christ cares about. For me to live is Christ. I, I see everything as reflected goods from Christ. I now live under the lordship of Christ, what he would have me do. I now live like Jesus as a person of love. And fourth, I care about the things Christ cares about. You see, what did Paul decide? He stayed because it meant fruitful ministry for, for others. He stayed for the sake of others, love. But it wasn't just any love. It wasn't just a love of doing anything. It was, although that's a good thing to do, it was a love particularly of the gospel. Seeing people themselves one to Christ grown and deep into the things of Christ, because for me to live is Christ. He, that everyone comes to know Jesus and then come home to Jesus is what life's about. Do you see the four things? These are, these are big things, and I want to see if you've got any thoughts and questions about this, but they're the big four things that you see all goods as reflected goods. Yes, family's a great blessing, but it's a blessing from God. Give, have your reflex to turn back and give thanks to God. Not live for the reflected light, but live for the true light that gives all the good things. Be a person who comes and bows the knee to Christ, because that's who we're made to serve and live for. Um, be a person of love, who, who absorbs the character of Jesus, who no longer lives for selfish ambition, you see. And fourth, particularly therefore embrace the priority of the gospel in your life. Do you know we've got Summerfest coming up in a week's time? Now, you may not be on Summerfest, but, but someone who is living for Christ, someone who is captivated for Christ, will be thinking about how I can pray about Summerfest, you see. It'll, it'll be part of your life to be thinking what I can do in the very smallest ways, big ways, prayer. Be praying for that whole mission, this whole summer. But let me pause there. Are you, do you, 
thoughts, comments, questions, let's do this. We've got a couple of minutes, actually. Yeah, uh, some, of the, some of the thoughts which seemed to give Paul's convictions depth were the fact that he had a physical, tangible vision of Christ and so on. Um, surely that's why we're not as... It's interesting, the Lord Jesus... Do you remember Thomas, uh, my Lord and my God? Do you remember the end of John's Gospel? He, he actually sees the wounds on the side of Jesus in his hands and so on and he goes, Oh, I believe... And what does Jesus say? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Do you know the greatest experience is not the visual one, it's the belief one shaped by the word of God. We are, not, we are actually more blessed than the apostles who walked with Jesus because we live by faith. We hear the words, we haven't seen the word. And Jesus says we are more blessed because of that. No, don't set, us, set up some kind of contrast that if I saw a vision, I'd be better off than if I... Um, no, no, no. Uh, it, the, the key to being captured is the work of God in your life by his word through his spirit. Pray that that blessing would be deepened in your life. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So how do we, how do we love our families but not make it them real, think it's all about them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that is a very good question. Has anyone got any answers? <laughs> uh, I'll give you some clues. Um, but it is a very good... It is, it, see, this is, this, is, this is the usefulness of this time. is Because, yeah, how do we land this in detail? It's all about him and them coming to know him. So there's your, I guess, train of thought. See, when Jesus died on the cross, who was he thinking of? The Father. It was glorifying the Father. He gives his life to save us. So both end. But first and foremost, so families, how do I do that? I think there's a number of things you need to put in place. The first is the conviction that it's not about them. Uh, and so... Um, let that conviction deepen and percolate and grow. And do, do things through your week that demonstrate that reality so that don't be the helicopter parent. Learn not to be the one who has to uh, dive in and fix every problem they have. Uh, but secondly, build into your week patterns and rhythms that show that they're to come along for other bigger things. So, so church... Uh, we get in the car as a bunch of kids uh, and go to church instead of going to the beach with all our friends because uh, life's not about you and your interests and your hobbies and your comforts. It's about the Lord Jesus honouring him amongst the people of God, building these kind of habits. And, and you don't have to preach the sermon every time you do it, but you, just the practice of mum and dad doing that says that you're coming along to something bigger, to live for something bigger. Model in your life that your life is about something bigger, that you don't just live for yourself. More is caught than taught. They will follow your example, not just what you say. And so if they see in you someone who actually lives for lifestyle, lives for the hobby, lives for the, the surf, whatever it is, lives for the garden, lives for the job, if they see in you that, they'll hear you say Jesus matters, but they'll see in you he doesn't. <laughs> and so learn to actually be captivated by the things of Christ in yourself and to live for serving, being in gospel ministries, participating and active, um, prayerful. Um, that kids see you reading your Bible and praying, and just as that, that they see you giving thanks in all things. These things are powerful reminders to them of what matters. It's a culture you create. 
Um, but God wants me to love my family and so I turn to them in their needs. I love them and help them with their hurts and pains. And my greatest concern with that is to point them to Christ. But I turn to them as well and I enjoy them and I glory in God who was given... It's a rich... My mother helped me with this years ago. She's not a Christian, of course, and if she's watching, I know you're not. And you need to become converted. But um, <laughs> um, she... <laughs> yeah, she'll be sitting there going, yeah, 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 you keep saying that. Um, uh, my mother said this. She said, she said, I don't know who enjoys giving presents the most. I, I, I actually love giving presents to my kids because there was this, <laughs> there's this rich thing of... I love... You know, it's, I buy a present and I give it to you, but I'm getting as much joy out of you getting it as you getting it, you see. And that's, what, that's the heart of how God works, I think. His, his love, he wants us to love our families in them coming to know Christ, you see. So I love them that they might know the greater thing than me. It's a rich tapestry of relationships together. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you might help us be people who are able to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Help it be the case that we live under your rule and lordship in the big things of life and small. Help it please be the case that we therefore appreciate every gift you give us as coming from your hand. Help us be people of love like the Lord Jesus. Help us be people committed to gospel ministry because of the Lord Jesus. Help us see the things that are real, that we might be shaped by them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.